Welcome to worship, all. Uh, I'm glad you all made it today. Uh, I, I realized I put out the update email and forgot to mention that today we fall back an hour. Um, so I thought, hey, we all made it. That means what? It's technically 9.30 according to our body or 11.30. I never remember how this all works. Point being, we all made it. Our scripture today comes from Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 20. I thought about moving on to something else in our last three weeks before we start the Advent season, but frankly, I really felt like I needed to do just one more touch upon the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments that we finished, so I'm calling today the Epilogue to the Decalogue because I like to play with words. The last word of the ten words. Anyway, so this comes from the end of Moses' time on earth. Deuteronomy is a retelling of the, of the Torah to the Israelites, the new generation of Israelites before Moses goes onto the mountain and dies. And Joshua leads them into the promised land. This is Moses's, from Moses' final sermon. This commandment I'm commanding you today isn't too much for you. It's not out of reach. It's not on a high mountain. You don't have to get mountaineers to climb the peak and bring it down to your level and explain it before you can live it. It's not across the ocean. You don't have to send sailors out to get it, to bring it back and to explain it here before you can live it. No, the word is right here, right now. As near as the tongue in your mouth, as near as the heart in your chest, just do it. Look at what I've done for you today. I've placed it in front of you. Life and good, death and evil. And I command you today, love God, your God. Walk in the way, his ways. Keep his commandments, his regulations, his rules, so that you will live well, really live, live exuberantly, blessed by God, your God, in the land that you are about to enter and possess. But I warn you, if you have a change of heart, refuse to listen obediently, and willingly go off and serve other gods, you will most certainly die. You won't last long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness today. I place before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your children will live and love God, your God, listening obediently to him, firmly embracing him. Oh yes, he is life itself. A long life settled on the soil that God, your God, promised to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. A song I learned from a dear friend of my family in camp, uh, Joseph Helfrich. My brother thinks he is a chicken. He's proud of his feathers and long legs. 
My mother won't take him to the doctor. Because frankly, she needs the eggs. I love that song. It's silly. It's stupid. But it kind of leads into my point. That, that we don't always do what is right when we're met with the real world. Because what's right always doesn't seem so simple. Sure, it is obvious that a man who thinks he is a chicken should go to the doctor, right? But if he's providing eggs and you need them, which I don't even want to think about the biology of how this all works, but let's just say it does. Of course you don't want to take him to the doctor if you really need the eggs. <laughs> okay, that's a really silly, stupid one, but I love that song, and I've been looking for a reason to sing it. Because the story I have to share today is not actually a great one. But we'll come back to that. I want you to think about Moses for a minute. Moses has got to be like 80-some years old at this point. I forget what the exact number they give him is. But he's some 80 years old. He grew up as, as a nobleman in, in the, the court of Pharaoh. He became a murderer ran off, you know, dealt living in the wilderness until he found a new home with the tribes of Midian, where he married and raised a family. Until, of course, you know, we all know this, you know, the burning bush appears out of nowhere, scares him, but God calls him and he is sent along with Aaron begrudgingly. He doesn't want to do it, Moses doesn't want to do it, but he goes down to Egypt, where he proclaims God's word, where he proclaims that God says, let my people go. He does these things with, you know, plagues and whatnot, and he manages to get his people freed. They escape across the sea. Pharaoh's armies are decimated, and he brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai, where they're there for some months while God talks first directly to the people, then directly to him, and gives them the instructions, and they build the tabernacle, they are given the law. Now, during this whole time, the people are making mistakes. Now, now to read the Torah is kind of interesting. If it was just a book of law, it would be just that, just a book of law. But instead, what ends up happening is we are given some law, and then we are given them... Um, some, some story about what happens next, and inevitably it's people breaking the laws they were just given, and then things are corrected, and God gives them some more law. There's a little more like, okay, okay, you got this wrong, but here, I'm going to give you even some more instruction to get it right. So they do that. They go to the edge of, of southern, what be, would become Israel eventually. They go to the edge of that, and while they're there, they 10 out of the 12 scouts, when they come back, say it's full of, of beautiful bounty, but also gigantic, scary people we can't go. And the tribes rebel against uh, Moses and say, we're not going in. So God says, fine, you're not going in. None of you are, except for these two guys. The rest of you are all going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until this generation dies out. That's what happens. Slowly, through the 40 years, problem after problem arises, rebellions, 
um, people worshiping the other gods, people grumbling every step of the way. They're moaning and moaning about this thing and that. Till finally, Moses ends up just on the other side of the Jordan River from Jericho. And there, there he knows his time is at an end. And so he gives what we call Deuteronomy. It's the second law, where he goes over the whole original law, he expounds a little bit more on it, and he gives these sermons and these things, and do you know what he ends it with? Guess what? You're all going to fail. Geez, Moses, that's a little harsh. But he's been doing this for like 45 years. Can you blame the guy? I mean, okay, so, so Grace is, is five now. And so every, every, every couple of years, you know, things change a little with time as she gets older and as she comprehends more. But I can also kind of tell you exactly what she'll do in most cases. Or my brothers, you know, I've known them from, what, 36? So I've known Jacob for 34 years. It also helps that Jacob and I are pretty similar. I can pretty much guarantee you how Jacob is going to react to something. I know what he's like. It's probably going to be exactly how I react to something, and that helps too. Moses has been with these people for over 40 years. And mind you, the first generation has all died out. So they are all people who were kids when Moses started doing this, or younger. I mean, not born yet. So he has seen them for the last 40 years. He knows what people will do. He knows that when the rubber meets the road, they will be unable to follow the law. That they are going to make mistakes. But he gives them a choice. Try your best, and God will watch over you. Or just go running hilly-willy there and here and there, and things will fall apart. It seems simple. It seems like it should be easy. But we know it isn't ever as easy as it should be. And so I tell this story. I'm a little sad that uh, Dolores isn't here today because she loves it when I tell friendly stories, but today is not a great friendly story. It's honestly one of the things I most regret from my time at Friendlies. So, Friendlies, of course, we were in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Now, much of the city of Hershey is actually owned by one of three entities. There are three major entities in Hershey. There is uh, Hershey Food Co. That's the one who makes all your food, um, including pasta. One of the pasta companies is owned by Hershey. I don't remember which. I used to walk every day right by the Reese's factory to go to work. If any of you guys ever made what we would, I call puppy chow, you might call it Muddy Buddies, the check mix of the peanut butter and the chocolate, that's what it smelled like to walk by that factory. Hot puppy chow. Anyway, so, okay, back to the story. There's Food Co. They, they were, of course, the big, you know, the big company. Hershey Entertainment and Resorts. That's the people who owned Hershey Park, the Hershey Lodge, the Hershey Hotel, all those kinds of things. And then the quiet, big, scary one, the Hershey School. So it starts all the way back, Milton, Milton and Kitty. Kitty is his wife. You don't hear a lot about her. She kind of died young anyway, but they were deeply, madly in love. 
However, Kitty had a lot of health issues and that caused her to be unable to have any children with Milton and that was very depressing for them. So they decided that they were gonna use their incredible wealth to start a school, a, uh, an industrial school where they would take orphans between the ages of four and eight, bring them to the school and give them an education through their 18th birthday. It wasn't just an academic education, but they taught they also learned business, they also learned mechanics, they learned how to, how to farm, do all of these different things. The schools still exist, and the reason it's kind of big and scary is it owns almost all the property around town. You know, even, even our friendlies was built on their land, we were leasing it from them. They also owned the majority shares in both Hershey Parks and Recreation and Hershey Food Co. So if you buy a Hershey bar, you're not only you know, supporting the company and people who work there, but you're also continuing to support this school, which um, is open to um, any young person who comes from difficult financial backgrounds. It's no longer just orphans anymore, but rather anybody who has a difficult financial background. You know, their parents are struggling to pay for the basic necessities. They can apply and go to the school but she didn't want to ever mess with the school. One, it owned a lot of property. It had its own security force that you would see all over town. They were a major force, so you, you were careful with them. And the reason I tell you that is we had at least one person I can remember, we actually had many people we hired over the years from the Hershey School. Because when they, when they start school, they're put in houses. They get house parents, a mom and a dad, a husband and a wife. Um, which, by the way, if you, if you want to spend more time with kids, it's an excellent position if you and your spouse have been married for some time. Uh, you can go work as a house parent. They have a, they have a chocolate milk tap in every single kitchen, if you really like chocolate milk. Anyway, so they start their kindergarten. You, you stay with the same group of kids every year. I'm not sure if the house parents stay the same until you reach about the age of 15 or 16, and then you move into semi-independent housing where the kids are taught the things that honestly every school should teach, you know, things like how to keep your house clean, how to do laundry, how to cook, how to pay bills, how to budget, um, how to do grocery shopping. And this is also when they can start to get their own jobs. And we really liked hiring these kids because they were reliable. You didn't have to worry that they wouldn't make it to work that day because they had some unexpected school event or they just decided they wanted to go hang with friends because while they no longer had house parents, they still had monitors of like each floor and they made sure every kid got to work on time. They brought them themselves. So we knew when we hired a Hershey school kid, they would be there. So we had this young lady. I think she was just 16 years old, just 16. That's so why I kind of recall. And she came in, and I know she worked as a greeter and eventually became a, uh, um, a server. I don't really remember a lot about her, just that she was nice, she did her job, but she was getting really friendly with this one cook, this one 32-year-old cook. It was a little weird. We were careful. I did my job. I, I did things like I wouldn't give them breaks together because it was crossing a line, but there wasn't anything that I could do about it because they hadn't crossed an actual line. 
So I, uh, I come in one day. First thing I do when I come in, I get a, a white sheet. On the white sheet, it lists everybody who works for the day, their times in and out, and I go fill out the whiteboards. I assign everyone their task. Just finish that up, and I get a call. Hi, it's such and such from, from the Hershey School. Hey, I was wondering what time, I'm just going to call this girl X. I'm wondering what time X is going to be done with her meeting today. What? What time will X be done with her meeting? Now, mind you, I had just finished the whiteboard. I knew everybody who was supposed to be on for the night. I just wrote their names down and assigned them their work. So I go back, I check it again. I look down at my sheet, I'm going through it. She was on this morning. She had been gone, she should have been gone at least an hour and a half before I came in. So I picked up the phone, talked to the young lady, and like, look, she was already in today. She's, she's been gone at least an hour and a half. And she's like, no, no. She told me she had, you guys had a store meeting this afternoon. We, we don't do store meetings because they're really expensive. When you do a store meeting, that means you close down the restaurant, but you're paying everybody to be there. You make no money and you spend a bunch of money. And so the only time we ever do a store meeting is when like the district or the regional person comes in and does it with us because yeah, they, they'll, it comes out of their budget, not ours then. I'm sorry, she wasn't in. Let me double check. And I went back and I checked in with my GM who was just getting ready to leave. Nope, X was in earlier. She left. Okay. So I went back. I, I told her, no, she's definitely not in. We're not expecting her at all tonight. And she, she apologized and thanked me and I hung up the phone. Well, that started to bug me. Now, I've I'm, I'm always been a little protective of the minors at the school, or at the, at the, at the job, because I was, I was a camp counselor. I was always around kids being a youth leader. You know, on, that was my other job up until recently at that point. You know, I, I enjoyed working with the kids. And so I was always fairly protective and tried to make sure things were safe for them. You know, the last thing I want is, you know, their first job to be a terrible job or for them to be put in danger. It's when I realized I might know where she is. And so I asked around, and sure enough, one of the cooks told me, oh, yeah, she stopped by just before you came in. She was out back talking to that particular cook. Oh, okay. So I, uh, I go call my district manager. Hey, Bob, I got a problem. Actually, that was John at the time. Hey, John, I've got a problem. I've got this youth who's, we know she was here earlier. I think I know who she's with. They are far too different in an age gap. This is, you know, this is bordering on dangerous. I really think I need to give them the phone number or reach out myself. We need to make this right. John said in no uncertain terms, you do anything and you're canned. You cannot give out personal information. You cannot go and call them yourself because you have no evidence and that's not your job. I hung up the phone with him and the phone rings. It's Hershey School Security. They're opening an investigation looking for her. She's been classified as missing by the Hershey School. I talked to her and I said, I have, an under, I have a belief where she is. However, I've been told that I'm not allowed to divulge that information 
uh, but you are free to wait here for her if you wish. And sure enough, 10 minutes later, I'm talking to the security guard in person. I'm a little freaked out. This is the Hershey School. This is you know, the company that owns pretty much all the land in town, who has enormous sway, who we have our lease with. And I'm not allowed to tell her anything. And I don't want to not tell her anything because it's a kid. He's 32. He's 32. He's living with his mom because he was kicked out of his girlfriend's house because he cheated on her and he's got two small kids with her. I'm not saying he's the worst person in the world by any means. He's just made a lot of very poor decisions and he seems to continually be making those poor decisions and one that might harm this child. I call John again. John again tells me, you are not allowed to do anything or you will be fired. About a half an hour later, in she walks through the back door. She walks in and is pulling on her work shirt over whatever she had been wearing and says, hi, Andrew. Hi. <laughs> hey, if anybody asks, will you tell them I've been here for a meeting? No. <laughs> it's like, look, my hands have been tied. I'm pretty sure I know who you were with. I know you shouldn't have been with them. I don't appreciate you lying to the school and telling them you will be here when you're not. I don't appreciate any of that. And I am certainly not gonna put my job or my, uh, I'm not gonna lie to the cops. Because <laughs> my guess is this is gonna go from security to the cops. She looked upset and then she walked out front and then the security guard saw her and brought her home and. Then for the next two weeks, I spent getting calls from security and the police, both asking for my story, as much as I was allowed to tell them. I was getting calls from her mom, who lived in Florida, asking for his contact information, which I didn't give. I look back, and that is one of the moments I most regretted at my time at the Friendlies. It was such a silly, stupid thing, and it worked out in the end. You know, everybody was safe, though it did go to the police, and I'll, I'll let you know, as far as I know, the end of the story goes, her, the Hershey School cracked down. She wasn't allowed to go out to do anything. She wasn't allowed to work for us or any company, and this young man was charged, and I don't know if it ever went farther than that. At the time, I looked back, and I thought to myself, man, I wish I just broke the rules. What's the worst they can do? They can fire me, I can find another job. At least I will have done what I believe is right, right? I will have done something to protect this girl. But as I've gotten older, I go, well, yeah, but if you say you gave the phone number out and the security called them instead and then the police got involved, would they have come back? Would it have ended up being as safe a situation for the young lady as it ended up being in the end? What if I called him myself? Would they have not come back? Would they have run? I don't know. And that's the whole thing. We may have a compass, and that compass may point firmly to God, but it doesn't mean whether we know that between us and God, if there is a nice, level, straight path, or if you're going to be pushing through bogs and through a bramble and over mountains. We have no idea. Because life isn't so simple. 
when we take those 10 words, those 10 commandments, when we take the law, when we take Christ's way and we bring it out into the real world, we discover it's a lot harder to follow than we think it should be. Now, sometimes it's harder because we just struggle to do with what's right. Because we have temptations in our heart to do what is, we know is not right. And yeah, I, I, I believe that firmly, uh, you know, Christ tells us his yoke is light, that his way is easy. That it's easy in so many cases to know what is the right thing to do. It's obvious. You shouldn't cheat a person. You shouldn't lie to someone. You shouldn't kill someone. You shouldn't yell hateful words at someone. That's pretty obvious. But when life gets more complex, when you're faced with a decision where you don't know right from wrong, and even if your heart tells you that it is right, that on reflection later you might think, well, maybe that was wrong to think that, what do you do? Now, when the, ten, uh, when, the, when the tribes will enter into the land, they will make pretty obviously bad choices. They're going to have pretty much right from the beginning people straight out disobeying the law. You know, at Jericho, there will be this guy, um, Arkin, I believe his name is, who is going to steal um, fine metals and cloth from the ruins of Jericho, and that was all supposed to go the, straight to, to the, the tabernacle. They weren't supposed to keep that. And that's the first major sin that happens in, in Judah or in Israel. And, and it causes all kinds of problems. But then it's going to get a little more complex. I often bring up Samson. Samson's a great judge to look at because he's so very human. He has anger issues, among other things. You know, Samson you know, goes around and, and commits like mass murders at a time. You know, he, 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 uh, he, find, he, he sets out this riddle that no one is supposed to guess. He killed a lion and he left the lion's corpse along the side of the road, and he came back later and discovered that the lion's chest cavity was now a beehive, which I guess he eats the honey out of that, which just sounds wrong, but that's what he does. Anyway, he sets out a riddle where that, that lion was the answer. He is tricked out of giving the answer to somebody else, and because of that, he owes a bunch of clothes to people, clothing being something worth a lot of money, even today. And so he gets mad when, they, when he finds out that they tricked the riddle answer out of him, and he sets fire to their fields and kills a bunch of them. He's got a rage issue. But at the same time, you go, but wasn't he also, he was fighting with the Philistines, the very people that were working against him, that were harming his people, that were creating problems in his homeland. He was fighting with them. But at the same time, he was doing it in such a way that I think that... To read it objectively, you go and look at it and you say, Samson was not a good guy here. Because he wasn't. He was a sore loser with a rage issue. Also, you know, a body that if you have a rage issue with and you have, um, you know, strength beyond any normal man is a problem. It gets complicated when you start parsing these things out. It gets complicated in our own lives. As I sit, stand here, you know, I'm, 
I'm younger than most of us in here. And I know you all know this better than I do, that you've all lived lives in which you were asked to make a choice. And you may have made the choice that you thought was right and you realize all the problems with it. Or you may have made the wrong choice knowing that you were making the wrong choice, but you made it for all the right reasons. So what do we do? Why do we have five of the books? You know, okay, so there's five books in the Torah, but to be fair, there's only four books with law in it. What do we do with these four books? What do we do with these four books when we realize that in the end, when we reach the world and we, find, we take these laws and we apply them to the world, that they don't actually ever, they don't actually fully solve all the problems. Should we be like Samson? Should we do just what we want? Whatever. God will make it right. You know, in the end, that's what happens in Samson's life, right? God makes everything right. Of course, he had to be at the lowest point in his life to realize that. In the end, the Decalogue is incredibly important. The Torah is incredibly important because they are the most basic rules that come out of the central rule of faith. What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. The first reflection of that being that you love your neighbor. In the end, the Ten Commandments are just our best way, God's best way of trying to convey that information to us in word. But they will always fall short. There will always be a reason where you might have to make that hard choice. Where you might do the wrong thing for the right reason. You might do the right thing for the wrong reason. You might do the right thing for the right reason and it have a bad side effect. That's why the Ten Commandments and the Torah is not the end of the Bible. We see for generations upon generations exactly what happens when people try to live by the Torah and are unable to do it. Though for the most part, them choosing to do things they shouldn't have done. That's why we get Jesus. Because the Decalogue isn't enough. Because it's one thing to tell people this is right and this is wrong. I don't know about you, I'm not a great learner when it comes to someone just telling me something. I'm not really good at it. You may not be good at it. There's some people who are that way. You know, I, I had a friend who she could sit there and doodle all class and remember every single word said. I'm not that kind of learner. I'm someone who needs to see an example, who needs a practical exam, needs a practical use of the knowledge I've gained who needs to practice it again and again and again. You go back to friendlies, they, they taught me once on, on one particular night, here's everything you need to know about the computer. And then I didn't have to do it for three weeks, so when my first day back as a manager, they told me to do it, and guess what? I couldn't do it. I'd forgotten it all in three weeks. How could I remember that? That's why we get Jesus. God knows that we can't figure it out just by reading the words. That instead, we need 
to see someone who actually lives that kind of life. That raises a problem. Who here has actually seen Jesus? Who's seen the physical body of Jesus walking around, doing something, walking on water, putting France out of the wine business? No? No. That means what? Well, there was these 12 guys, probably a whole bunch more than just these 12 guys, but we'll go with the 12 guys first. They saw Jesus live, and they did their best to live like him. They made mistakes, but they made a lot of good choices too, and they passed that knowledge on to the next generation who made mistakes, but also tried their best to do a lot of good who pass it on to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation until it reaches us. We are the examples of the Christ-like living in this world. Yes, we can read the Bible, we can learn from it, and we should. It is the basis, it's the closest thing, but it doesn't mean anything if we don't practice it. Practice it every single day, every single moment. The Ten Commandments are great guidelines to life. I would follow them, especially when it comes to the things that harm others. You know, please don't go around killing people. That's a bad idea. Just generally bad. However, when it really comes down to it, the best way for you to be a person who follows God is to be someone who follows God, to practice the Ten Commandments in your heart every single day to practice the great commandment and the first reflective every single moment, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor. That's the last word of the ten words. To learn from it and to be an example of it every moment of your life. That's it. I think I've run out of words for my epilogue. <laughs> what more is there to say? But to go out and be Christ-like examples in this world. We're going to come across those situations where you won't know right from wrong. But if you center yourself on the great commandment, if you center yourself on the reflective, the loving your neighbors as yourself, I don't think you can do terribly wrong. And when you make a mistake, when your choices have consequences that are not so positive, just try to do the best thing you can from there. In the end, that's what it's down to. Because we know that we are imperfect beings, and being imperfect beings means we will not have perfect outcomes. So we ask for forgiveness, and we try our best. And then when we make that next mistake, we may ask for forgiveness, and we try our best. And in the end, I think we'll find that this world's a little more like Christ. Amen.